Welcome to Informed, a podcast series where you will hear industry experts share their thought-provoking insights and lessons in the field of medical communications. This series is brought to you by ISMAP and is generously sponsored by MedThinkSciCom. I'm Leslie Rotz, Director of Digital Strategy and Operations at MedThinkSciCom and the host of today's podcast. On today's episode, we will talk about data dissemination and how the medical affairs industry is embracing this sense of urgency to communicate research in innovative ways. With us today, we have Jenny Gith, Global Scientific Publications and Innovations Director at Pfizer. Her areas of focus include artificial intelligence, advancing digital dissemination through social media and closed platforms, as well as programs aimed at achieving true patient centricity. Jenny is a certified medical publication professional, author on several high-tiered peer-reviewed publications, and has presented at national and local meetings. Welcome, Jenny, and thanks for joining me once again. Thank you so much, Leslie, for your introduction. And I'm very happy that we are speaking about this important topic today. I think we are all just acutely aware of the pace of information that we're all receiving, as well as the publications that we're developing seem to be increasing in terms of their volume and pace. And it's important to dedicate some time to thinking consciously about that and about how we are sharing information with the broader world and what it means for us as publications professionals. Absolutely. And I've had recent conversations with publisher colleagues about what is driving digital transformation within the industry. And it's holistically about this need to communicate research as quickly as possible. But there are other spokes to the wheel, too. We need to manage the increase in quantity of information that you mentioned. We have a desire for more convenient formats and having content that speaks to more diverse audiences, too. We talked a lot about patience in our last episodes. So many are starting with that idea of having different media formats available. So journals might have video abstracts, for example. Some are allowing or posting infographics or visual abstracts, if you will. Are there other examples of these different media formats that you've seen through your work with publications? I think one thing that's really interesting is this emergence of bite-sized content through video and these interactive visuals, not even just infographics anymore, but actual interactive visuals that you can use to help better understand information. It's not just about a, a pretty visual or a pretty build on a PowerPoint slide anymore. It's about using technology and using these various platforms that we have to dive into the data in ways that help us increase our understanding. The journals are even becoming innovative and allowing for inclusion of these different formats and accommodating different types of learners. So it's really important to understand your options at the outset as you start to develop materials so that you're really able to fully utilize what's available to you and really what makes the most sense. We need to be prepared to communicate our findings in short and succinct ways that get down to what do we really want to say, right? What is the essence of the, the point that we need to make so that people understand it more clearly in the context of the sea of information that is around us? We're also able to measure success as these journals are providing page view metrics to the authors and to the broader audiences. So we're even able to monitor how people are seeing our content, right? And adjust accordingly. So it's really a, a, a tremendous time to be a part of the industry. 
There are a lot of options to take advantage of as part of your digital dissemination plan. And I would, I would encourage everyone to think about it more holistically. You know, gone are the days of thinking just about your Congress and your manuscript, right? I would, I would consider thinking more broadly and incorporate, incorporating that into your plans accordingly. Even beyond that, the journals are using social media to communicate key findings from papers as are some opinion leaders. And we even have digital opinion leaders now, right? So social media is an important vehicle because uh, we, we know that people are increasingly going to it for information. And what we hope to see is that it can be used to share information more readily and more quickly so that more of the world knows about the importance of these findings more quickly. But we also just want to make sure that the information that is out there is accurate and understandable for our audiences so that they can act on it appropriately. Leveraging social media for scientific exchange is probably one of the points in our industry that I am enjoying enjoying the most watching right now. As a digital native, I have been waiting for the day that I can use that famous line that I use with a variety of clients that HCPs are people too, and correlate that to the use of social media. You spend time on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on various other platforms every day. The HCPs do as well, and now they're going there for clinical information, and there's data supporting that. In a very specialty to specialty where exactly they're going, but they're looking for that peer-to-peer interaction, and they're looking for you to meet them where they are. And social media, frankly, is just, you know, a topic in itself, right, Jenny? Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. And to that effect, there are a number of sessions and posters on it at ISMAP. We're seeing more of it in our own field. We know the, communi- the community is increasingly turning to social media to obtain and disseminate information. So it's really only logical that we use it as a way to share data on publications. We share information on Congresses and manuscripts in real time at these meetings right as it becomes available. So again, it just makes sense to be able to have a venue for scientific exchange that further enables that. And really, we need to think about it in the context of that complete experience. The HCPs are people too. There is even the potential for more two-way conversation with the HCPs in ways that we were never able to do necessarily at the speed at which we're able to do it now. I think that it can also help HCPs knit together a story potentially and understand multiple pieces of information or perhaps presentations at Congresses over the course of time. There are things like chain postings and chain tweets that can be used to, again, help help your audience understand the story that you're wanting to convey and understand the information that's being provided to them and that they have access to. It really allows us to be more aware of the totality of the information that is being that is being presented to us. That is true of the scientific literature. And I think another practical example is, is thinking about it at major meetings, right? We're, we're seeing our opinion leaders tweet at the Congresses. We're seeing the Congresses themselves tweet. And what that does is it enables you to understand the temperature of the room and how information is being received and what sort of questions people have about what being presented to them. It's really a a great time for science. We have many ways to communicate. If you think about it, there's more of a potential for equity and access to information than there was before. 
through social media. It is truly a democracy in many ways as it enables open access to information and allows people to, again, understand it in ways that are digestible and very timely. There are other pieces of information that that come into play here and that may be important as we think more about social media, right? Um, I think, you know, we want to understand the use of open and closed platforms, right? So open platforms like Twitter, like LinkedIn are some of the ones that may be more familiar to us, but there are other platforms or closed platforms where um, individuals are subscribing to or, or opting into in some ways. And those platforms offer tremendous potential as well for access to information and understanding. And layered on top of that, the types of platforms you use, right, are, is also the way that you access and the way that you even find the platforms and the information. And this gets into areas like search engine optimization because that's an important part of again, enabling people to find information. Exactly right. So just as these users are going to social media for clinical information, they're frankly also going to Google. And in most cases, they're going to Google first. So the true challenge is if somebody asks a question, whether that's an HCP or an academic or a patient, who is answering that question for them within the search engine? Is it your information or is it somebody else's information? So you mentioned search engine optimization. That's certainly a tactic that your commercial colleagues are well-versed in at this point. But over the last couple of years, we've seen it come into play with academic search engine optimization, realizing that there are ways to adjust our manuscripts or actual publications to be optimized for those searches using the same lexicon that your external stakeholders are using. And again, ensuring that you're you're the one who is highlighting information for them when they're asking those search engines questions. And you see this kind of mirrored in these new MedInfo portals uh, that various organizations are putting into play where the crux of the functionality of that website is a search engine, right? You go there and you ask a question. You might use some filters around it's specific to this product or I'm interested in safety information that can help whittle down those search results. But it's truly how can we give an HCP an answer to exactly what they're querying for us? So speaking of disseminating data and other medical information in various ways, how have you seen Congresses adapt? Now, obviously, COVID-19 forced some changes, and some of those changes may stay with us throughout the pandemic and in the future. But what are some of the examples that come to mind? I think we've all been through so much in the past year and over a year now, and that includes changes to, to our Again, the way we disseminate information, particularly at the Congresses, we have more access to information as the Congresses have become more sophisticated. These virtual and hybrid meetings mean that more individuals can log on across time zones to attend these meetings and receive information. And it really is it's wonderful that the presentations and the posters are having this other life after the meetings, right? Outside of the normal, typical meeting cycle, because uh, we all know that beyond the ASCOs and, and ESMOs, we still are always seeking information and knowledge to help us improve science and outcomes for patients. The platforms themselves are more sophisticated and they're, and they're, they're learning as well. And the supplementary materials that they're providing 
are are getting more and more uh, sophisticated too. I think the authors are challenged to think beyond the traditional presentation and poster to really distill their findings into audio and video presentations that are compelling, short oftentimes, and impactful. And they're looking for ways to do that. The Congresses themselves and the companies and the participants at the Congresses are, are interested in, in the fact that, you know, we, there's no substitute for that peer to peer interaction. There's no substitute for sitting next to your colleague during that data presentation. But the Congresses are really trying to emulate and find more appropriate uh, ways to advance communications beyond just the audio and video component. So they are incorporating chats and peer to peer interactions within the meetings. And they're leveraging these design principles and our learnings from our digital colleagues to create these formats and these web-based portals that are really developed with the user in mind, right? What's happening is we're having to think through what the real experience is and where people are going to go for information and how they're going to seek it online. This is all very challenging and complicated, but the good news is, again, we have a lot of technologies that we have access to, and we can actually learn a lot from the metrics and the data that can be collected on these interactions, on the click rates, and really a lot of this information is accessible and can be done via artificial intelligence technologies and other digital ways. But I think that you know, we're even starting to see these platforms being used in other ways as well. For example, we're using AI to analyze information from the Congresses on competitive intelligence, right? So you're actually able to pull insights across all these various these various presentations and posters on a topic that you may have interest in as a publications professional as a member of a of a medical team. And I think that there's a poster on this topic as well at ISMAP that I'm an author on. And I think we're going to start to see that more and more as well. So it really becomes about a, a holistic experience at the Congresses that is complemented and enhanced through these, these digital platforms that we have access to. Absolutely. And lots of examples of that at ISMAP, as you mentioned. We covered a heck of a lot of ground today, as well as in our previous episode, we highlighted a lot of innovative ideas and changes happening in the industry. Many of those are tied to digital, but not all of them, to your earlier point. And this transformation within the pharmaceutical industry, some will say, is long overdue. I, myself, as a digital native, am certainly on that boat. What are some of the keys to success that you've identified with your own experience within your organization, bringing it through a digital transformation, since that is a key responsibility? It is an ongoing process, right? That's what we said when we started this series. Innovation is a process and an outcome. What that requires is cross-functional collaboration. I think that's more important than ever. There's a need to adapt our current processes and our structures so that we can be more nimble and agile and generate information more quickly that really suits the needs of the physicians and the patients. Special sub-teams or project teams may be needed to be set up to ensure that you're able to be nimble and address these topic areas that you're trying to get to. Upskilling or, or being willing to learn new skills is really important, and keeping on top of trends will help ensure excellence in your organization. There are a number of technological solutions out there, 
and platforms, some of which are off the shelf and you need to be aware of. And then in some cases too, your company may actually be developing solutions in-house. Again, with the, with the goal of accessing information and learning in ways that make the most sense for the user and allow for the sharing and the dissemination of information. I think companies are actively considering creating more bite-sized or digestible content in various formats, including plain language. And really for success, all of these things require these ongoing discussions with our colleagues, including our compliance colleagues, right? You know, you, you want to think about how you can do something, and you also want to think about how you can do something appropriately and what is the best way to do so in the context of your own teams and your own organizations. I think in the midst of the pandemic, public trust in science is something that is very important to be aware of and consider, and we need to ensure that we're acting transparently clearly and responsibly. And all this occurs under this mindset of innovation, where we aren't afraid to advocate for our new ideas and ways of thinking. We don't fail, we learn, right, through our work. And some projects may need to be piloted. And I think what's most important is that we learn from them. So to wrap things up, I just want to highlight some of the key takeaways for listeners to consider during their overarching goal and vision of innovation and digital transformation within their organizations. So for me, I always talk about what are those complex challenges that you're trying to solve? Where is the appropriate place for you to start? Have you gone through one of those needs assessments exercises? And can you come up with a scalable plan that is personalized to your organization and your challenges, especially now that we likely will never go back to how we were all operating pre-pandemic? The pandemic did many things for the world over the past year, and what it has done for our industry is really accelerate the innovation that we had previously seen bits and pieces of. Jenny, if you could think of just some top takeaways or top tips for those our listeners as a result of our discussion today and in our previous episode, what would those be? Well, we're not going to go back, but basic principles still apply. The art of communication, and it really truly is an art, is still just foundational. And this and the importance of clear and concise storytelling and building your narrative is is important. I think doing so courageously and with this added innovation mindset is really important. And staying informed, right, is is going to better serve your internal teams and the healthcare community and patients ultimately. Try to perceive deeply, go beyond your first impressions. This is very difficult in an age of Zoom meetings and tons of multitasking and information overload. So analyze it, think about it, and synthesize it, and bring in your own personal perspectives. Make sure you keep your audience in mind and harness the metrics that are available to you so that you can develop and consider more holistic publication planning and the incorporation of digital, and you have the the headspace to do so. And finally, I would say, you know, engage your colleagues and collaborate and, and have discussions with your leadership about this conscious investment, the resourcing needs, and the pilots that you think are going to have the most impact. Well, thanks so much for your time, Jenny. This episode and our previous one were just so helpful, not only to myself, but I'm sure to our listeners as well. So very grateful for you to share your insights and examples that you've seen throughout our industry regarding digital transformation and innovative ideas. Thanks to 
our listeners to coming to Informed, our medical communication podcast. Please take a minute to follow the show on your favorite podcast app, inform your colleagues, and rate our show highly if you liked what you heard today. We hope you will also join us at an upcoming ISMAPU webinar or even consider becoming a member of our association. Just go to ismap.org, that's ismpp.org, to learn more. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to producer Leah Lawnbreak and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. Thank you.